Welcome to Living Word Church. Let's hear from Pastor Ben as he teaches from the Gospel of John in our Eternal Word series. This morning I've titled the message, The Accidental Prophet, question mark. So I guess I should say, The Accidental Prophet. That's the title of the message. Would you go before the Lord in prayer with me? Father, I thank you for this morning and the opportunity we have to gather around your word. Lord, when we read your word, we hear your voice. And Lord, I ask that as we read your word, that we would hear you speak to our hearts loud and clear, and that we would not be people that uh, are so busy and so distracted with things of our life that we drown out your voice through your word. And I pray that you would help us to be conformed into the image of your son, Jesus, as we behold his glory through your word. And Lord, do your work today. And I pray that you would help me this morning to open my mouth, to preach your word, and to exalt Christ. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in 1946, two men, one named Albert C. Carter and the other Abe Bookman, invented a fortune-telling device. A fortune-telling device. How many of you want, want to know the future? They invented a fortune-telling device that got tweaked over the years, and it became something that maybe some of you played with when you were a kid. Remember the Magic 8-Ball? I do not condone a Magic 8-Ball. I asked my wife, should I bring this on the stage today? I don't condone this. Um, Should I bring it on the stage? Ask again later. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But you know what this is, right? You use it when, a kid, when you're a kid. Will I marry so-and-so? <laughs> Ask again later. <laughs> you know, and you think of the person that you really liked and, or the superstar. Will I become a professional athlete? And you shook the fortune-telling device, the magic eight ball. If your parents let you do that, mine never did. Um, that is the magic eight ball. And we often, we often want to know the future, don't we? We want to know the future. We would find great comfort, I think, if we understood the future, or great terror if we understood all of the future. And, and that is something that I think weighs on our hearts. We, we, we would love to know. And in our text today, we're gonna have, we have a man who seems to accidentally prophesy about God's purpose of redemption through Christ. The accidental prophet. Is he an accidental prophet? This man we're going to see in John 18, and he, he, he speaks... And it seems like he's fumbling into actually declaring the future that Christ was destined for. To redeem and to save all those who would believe in him. And so we're going to look at the man named Caiaphas. Now we've looked at Caiaphas in John 11, several months back. But John brings Caiaphas back up in a very unique way. In a very unique way. So here's our text, just three verses. And we're going to go between John 18 and chapter 11 as well. We're going to look at Caiaphas, really a case study of just looking at the life of Caiaphas and what we see through him and his choices that he made. So John 18, verses 12 through 14, says, so the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. So where are we? 
Where are we? This is like a parenthetical statement that John is making here. This is like, John doesn't go into the details that you see in Matthew or in Mark about the trial of Jesus. He, he really just, he really just uh, doesn't, lean, he doesn't lean into the, the Jewish trial with the Sanhedrin. We will see in a couple of weeks where he talks about the interrogation before Pilate. But, but what we're seeing now is he's just kind of like, look, G- Jesus has been betrayed by Judas. He's been arrested, as, as Pastor Scott showed us last week. And it's like these three verses stand in the middle between Judas's arrest and his trial before Pilate. And in the middle, John is making the point. He's going to be brought before Annas. Now, Annas was a high priest before Caiaphas. And Annas was the father-in-law of Caiaphas. But Annas, for many of the Jews during that time, they looked to Annas as really the chief ruler of the nation of Israel, the one that you would still look to. And he, he would have been still called the high, high priest, even though he wasn't the active high priest. He would have been called the high priest in much the same way that you will call the former president. You still would call him Mr. President. And so Annas had, had great influence in the nation of Israel. But the high priest that was in office during this time was Caiaphas. Caiaphas was a son-in-law of Annas. And in verse 14 of chapter 18, we see the perspective that Caiaphas has about Jesus. Look back to what we just read. It was Caiaphas who said, it would be expedient that one man, speaking of Jesus, Caiaphas is saying, it would be expedient that one man would die for the people. And so I believe it would be expedient for us, profitable for us, instructive for us to look at Caiaphas. It's like this Three verses here that John just kind of like says, oh, here's, here's, here's what just happened. And here's a little highlight of what's about to happen. I'm not going to go into the detail, but don't forget, he's going to see Annas and then he's going to see Caiaphas. Oh, and by the way, Caiaphas is the man who said this and said that. So it's going to be instructive for us to look at Caiaphas. Look at his statements concerning Jesus. Consider the plan of God at work through all of this. So let's look through the lens of the high priest Caiaphas. What did Caiaphas see? What did Caiaphas say, and what did Caiaphas do? Because here's the point of what we're going to see this morning, is that Caiaphas made some choices. Caiaphas, as the high priest, the ruling authority, the spiritual authority of the nation of Israel, the highest spiritual authority of the nation of Israel, he made some decisions about Jesus. And so here's what we'll see. Caiaphas chose, firstly, Caiaphas chose power instead of embracing what was obvious. This is what we see in Caiaphas. Caiaphas chose power or to hold on to power instead of embracing what was obvious. Let's go back to John 11. This is what John is referencing in John 18. He's saying Jesus is about to go before Annas. He's about to go before Caiaphas. And Caiaphas is that man who made that statement that Jesus should be the one that would die for the people instead of all the people dying. And so where did that statement come from? John 11. Let's look at John 11 where Caiaphas made that statement. So it's on the heels, when Caiaphas made this statement, it's on the heels of the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. No human being had ever been raised from the dead. This was a miracle beyond all compare. Jesus did many miracles when he walked the earth, but this one was the top of the list. He raised a man that was three days dead. Can you imagine that? Raised a man that was dead. And so the news was spreading. Look at verse 45. It says, And many of the Jews, therefore, 
who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So it says here that many believed. And what did the many who believed in Jesus after he raised Lazarus from the dead, what did they, what did they go do? Well, they went to the Pharisees. And they let the Pharisees know what happened. And, and, and I can imagine when they went to the Pharisees, they said, you won't believe what we just saw. You will not believe. So these common people who saw Lazarus rise from the dead by the power of the word of Jesus, they go to the Pharisees, and I can imagine they're just in shock. And they're declaring to the Pharisees, this is what happened. There was multiple witnesses to it. And they're declaring, and what what is it that the Pharisees do? What was the response of the leaders of Israel? What, what would they do? What would you do? Right? How would they respond? Well, let's continue on. Verse 47. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council. You think, like, now, now they've got to have a meeting. What do they have to have a meeting about? What are they meeting about? I mean, I, I, I think instead of gathering the council, if you're going to gather the council, don't gather to discuss. Gather, gather to scatter to go find Jesus and worship. Right? But one of them, so, 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 so the chief priests and Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? Well, I know what you should do. You should worship. That's what you should do. For this man performs many signs. But that's, so when they're asking what should we do, they're asking from the standpoint of Jesus is, is a threat. If we let him go on like this, which I think is really interesting to think about, that they're, they're, they're actually thinking that they can control the Son of God. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And in essence, they said, if this guy continues on like this, we will lose our position of authority and power. Now, Caiaphas, as the chief priest, the ruling elder, this was his moment. The people see the miracle. They run to the Pharisees. The council is gathered. Caiaphas is a part of the council. They begin to discuss. They're fearful that Jesus is going to take away their power. If we don't stop him, he's going to take away our position and our place. Now, Caiaphas, he's the voice that needs to be heard. He's the voice that needs to speak. He's the authority. He's the one that can declare, wait a minute, guys, no. That's not what we need to be worried about here. We need to be worried about something greater here. Maybe this man is the one we've been waiting for. Maybe he's the Messiah. Is that what Caiaphas is going to do? No. What does Caiaphas do? He leans into what they just said. But one of them, verse 49, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. What does Caiaphas say? He leans further in to eliminating the threat. The, 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 the men, uh, the Pharisees on the council, the leaders that were under Caiaphas, they said just they were worried. They were worried that he would be a threat. We'd, they'd lose their position in their place if Jesus continues to, to grow in power. And Caiaphas says, listen, you, you know nothing at all. You're not thinking straight here. What needs to happen is the guy needs to die. And it would be better that he would die for the people than the whole nation would die. Caiaphas, what did he choose there? He chose power. They were hungry for power. Caiaphas was hungry for it at all cost. Caiaphas chose power instead of embracing what was obvious. They all ignored what was obvious about Jesus, right? Caiaphas just took it to the next level. He said, not only am I not going to embrace what is obvious about Jesus, but I'm going to try to eliminate him. 
He couldn't ignore what Jesus was doing, but he could try and eliminate the threat to his power. And that's what Caiaphas is saying here. This is what John is pointing to in chapter 18. Back in 18, it says, First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. For it was Caiaphas, for it was Caiaphas. John is saying, John is saying, this is what he's saying, the arrest of Jesus happened like this. That's what we saw last week. Then he heads to be tried by the Jews. They first brought him to that man named Annas, and then they brought him to Caiaphas. You know Caiaphas. This is what, this is what the readers would have been reading. This is what you would have thought about if you would read and you would have known if you were a part of that time and you read the gospel. You know Caiaphas, the one who convinced the people that it would be better for Jesus to die instead of them. It's, a, it's like a parenthetical statement. You know Caiaphas, the one who ignored what was obviously true about Jesus, the one who ignored what was obviously true about Christ, that Caiaphas. You know, Caiaphas isn't the first one to ignore what was obviously true about God and God's power. I mean, throughout the Bible, I thought about all the different references I could have gone through about people that ignored the obvious reality of who God is and his power. One of the first ones that stood out to me was Pharaoh. Lazarus was raised from the dead. But what about Pharaoh? What did Pharaoh see? Pharaoh saw all kinds of things. Look at Exodus chapter 7, verse 12 through 14. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staff. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them. Now, a little side note here. Many of you may be thinking, well, it says in Exodus that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And that is true, but it also says equal number of times that Pharaoh hardened his own heart and he would not listen. Pharaoh would not listen. He refused to listen. And the Lord said, then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. That was the first sign. The serpents and then and an Aaron's staff becoming a serpent and swallowing up all the other magician's serpents. And what about the plagues? Heart hardened, water turned to blood, frogs, lice, Flies, livestock, pestilence, boils, hail, locusts, darkness so dense that you could feel it, it says in Exodus. And then the killing of the firstborn. Hardened harden even after the killing of the firstborn. He lets children of Israel go, right? But then his heart turns and he wants to go and chase after them and kill them. Heart hardened. Ignoring what is obvious. We saw last week, did we not? When Jesus was arrested, and Jesus asked the soldiers, whom do you seek? And Jesus says, and they say, Jesus, Nazareth, and he says, I am he. What does it say in John? They all fell to the ground. They all fell to the ground. If you're a soldier in that moment, and you're coming to arrest Jesus, you've heard of the miracles. You're not oblivious to the raising of Lazarus. You're not oblivious to the feeding of the 5,000. You're not oblivious to the, the countless miracles that you've heard. And you walk up to this man, and maybe you're, you, you have a little trepidation when you're walking up. And, and, and maybe you say, hey, 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 hey we're, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And, and, and he says, I am he. And then you, out of your own control, you fall to the ground through the power of his words. And not only that, as a soldier, you witness one of your comrades have his ear cut off, and this Jesus, who you're here to arrest, picks the bloody ear up off of the ground and places it back onto Malchus's head 
and the blood dries up in his ear and works normally. How can you ignore what is obvious? I'd be like, I'm out. You guys can go ahead and condemn yourself, not this guy. Reminds me of Romans 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of of, of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's what you do when you ignore the obvious realities of God. You suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Why is it plain to them? Because God has shown himself to us. How has he shown himself to us? Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the skies above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day, if you don't hear voices in your head, it's because you're not listening. Because creation is shouting day to day, they pour out speech. Creation itself pours out speech. And night to night, it reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. What is creation declaring? It's declaring there is a God. God has revealed himself in power. God has revealed himself in creation, and God has revealed himself in his Son, in Christ. Obvious realities about who God is and what he has done. It's obvious. It's obvious truth. Obvious truth. And Caiaphas chose to not believe the obvious truth about Jesus. He made the choice to not believe the obvious truth. You know, they say that today, Gen Z are the truth-seeking generation. You know the age bracket for Gen Z? 11 to 26 years old. How many Gen Zers do we have here today? 11 to 26 years old. You you might not, yeah, you'd be like, I don't know if I want to raise my hand. I don't know what you're about to say. (laughs) Gen Z is 11. They're the truth-seeking generation. The study was was done about the truth-seeking generation. Here's how Gen Z approaches truth. Four kind of categories here. They, they, they called it unidentified ID or unidentified identity, meaning don't define yourself in only one way. Expressing individual truths. Here's another way in which Gen Z thinks about truth. Communaholic. What a term. Communaholic. What does it mean? To be, it means that they want to be radically inclusive, connecting through different truths. Expressing individual truths, connecting through different truths. Here's another category. They are dialoguers. I don't know if, I don't think that's a real word, dialoguers, just like communaholic. But dialoguers means that they have fewer confrontations and more dialogue, meaning understanding different truths, expressing individual truths, connecting through different truths, understanding different truths. And then lastly, realistic. Live life pragmatically. This is a Gen Z generation unveiling the truth behind all things. So this generation that really can't find truth and believes that truth is in everything, this generation is a fruit of being raised in a postmodern, through postmodern ideology. There is no truth. I love what novelist and screenwriter George R.R. Martin said, people often claim to hunger for the truth, but seldom like the taste when it is served up. 
Caiaphas had the truth served up right in front of him, and he didn't like the taste. Not everyone was like Caiaphas, though. The day Lazarus was raised. Look, look back to the text. Many of the Jews, therefore, who come had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. Right? As they should. So the question is, is what about you today? Will you believe the obvious truth about Jesus? What about you? Will you believe the obvious truth of the God of creation? Will you believe the obvious truth that your life is not the result of a cosmic accident? Will you believe the obvious truth that you are designed fearfully and wonderfully made for a purpose? Will you believe the obvious truth that Jesus came, he lived, he died, he was raised from the dead for your justification? Would you place your faith in Jesus today and his work for you? Caiaphas did not believe. He chose to not believe. Why? When we reject Jesus, we don't just reject Jesus and not embrace something else. When we reject Jesus, we embrace other things. And this is what he, he embraced. Caiaphas rejected Jesus to embrace power over praise, power over worship of Christ. He chose power over what should have been obvious. You know, Caiaphas, the one who said it would be expedient for one man to die for the people. That man, John says. Jesus was headed to talk to that man, to Caiaphas. Caiaphas, who chose power instead of embracing what was obvious. Caiaphas had some other choices. Caiaphas also chose what was profitable. He chose what was profitable instead of what was most needed. He chose power instead of embracing obvious reality. But he also chose what was profitable instead of what was most needed. Look back to the text. Again, it was Caiaphas who would advise the Jews, chapter 18, that it would be expedient, expedient for one man to die for the people. Expedient. What does the word expedient mean? It means, literally means profitable or advantageous or useful. John is reminding his readers that Caiaphas was the one who convinced the Sanhedrin that Jesus dying instead of them, or Jesus dying in their place, was expedient, profitable, and advantageous for them. And, and, and here's why. Here's, here's what they're thinking in their mind. Rome could at any time put pressure on or crush the nation of Israel. And if an uprising happens because of Jesus, Caiaphas is saying, hey, it's better this guy die for us than we die because of him. If he causes an uprise, Rome will crush us. This is a political move by Caiaphas and a self-serving move by Caiaphas. This is looking out for his own skin. It profited him. It was advantageous for him and the Sanhedrin not only to hold on to their power, but to save their own skin. Why would we die for this man? This guy is a rebel. He didn't follow the law. Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin were choosing what benefited them over what they needed most. They're choosing what benefited them over what they needed most. And the question is, is what did they need most? They needed most what everyone needs most, which is forgiveness. They needed forgiveness. If you, if you go through the Gospels and you read Jesus' most stinging rebuke of people in the Gospels, it is the Pharisees. It is men like Caiaphas and Annas and the other Pharisees within the council and the Sanhedrin. He rebuked them over and over again because they had a false form of religion. 
They had turned what God had established for his people into legalism and a false sense of spirituality. And Jesus exposed them over and over again. What they needed most was forgiveness. What they needed most was a true relationship with God. And so what an amazing thing to consider here. This man, Caiaphas, and the men that he led looked at Jesus in the eyes many times. Think of all the confrontations they had with the Pharisees. And they looked at him in his eyes. They saw his works. They heard his piercing words. They saw his compassion. And yet they valued their position more than they valued acknowledging what others could see. And what they needed most was right in front of them. And they loved their life more than they loved Christ. They loved their life more than they loved Christ. And you know, this is not the only example in Scripture of people loving their life more than they love Christ. I think one of the most famous ones would be, you remember the story, the rich, young ruler? You remember the story, the young man comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says in Mark 10, he said to him, teacher, and what Jesus says to him, keep the commandments. You know the commandments, right? You know, you, you know the commandments. And Jesus says, some of the commandments. And, and he said to him, verse 20, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. What was a rich young ruler's problem? That was Caiaphas's problem. That were the high priest's problem. They were not willing to, fought, to give all to follow Christ. And they, they were thinking that they were rich enough in their own good works and that they didn't need Christ. They had enough riches. They weren't going to be willing to give away their physical riches, and they certainly felt like they had enough riches of good works. They didn't need Christ. And this was Caiaphas. This was the Pharisees. And Jesus called them blind guides. You ever gone on an excursion with a guide? Would you ever go on an excursion with a blind guide? We had a tour guide. When we went with Homer Christian on, on our junior senior Europe trip, a blind guide. He could, if he was blind, like we need a new tour guide. How can we know where to go? Jesus called them blind guides. They were called to guide, but they were blind. They were called to lead Israel to the truth, but they were willfully blind. They were willfully blind and leading others to reject Christ. Why? Because they loved the profitability of the position that they had. They love the profitability of the position that they've had. And there's been many people who have chosen riches over Christ, possessions over Christ, position over Christ, power over Christ. I heard about a rich man who was determined to take his wealth with him. He told his wife to get all of his money together, put it in a sack, and then hang the sack from the rafters in the attic. He said, when my spirit is caught up to heaven, I'll grab the sack on my way. Well, eventually, the man died. The woman raced to the attic. She wanted to know if she had something, to, <laughs> something left, only to find the money was still there. She said, I knew I should have put this sack in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> you can't take it with you. And so many people choose what is profitable. They choose money and possessions and power over Christ. What did Jesus say in Matthew 16? For whoever would save his life will lose it. 
But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man, Caiaphas, if he gains the whole world? He keeps his position in the Sanhedrin and the power, but he forfeits his soul. Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Save your life, lose your life. Save your life, lose your life. Theologian Homer Kent says, the chief cause of unbelief is not inadequate information, but a heart of rebellion against the authority of God and his word. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? So here's my question to all of us here today. This is something for us to think about. This is something for all of us to think about. Is there anything in this life that is worth fighting to keep in place of Christ? Is there anything? Think about all the things we have, all the riches we have, the possessions, the people. Is there anything in this life worth fighting to keep and say, I'll keep all these things, but I'll keep them in exchange for Christ. I will reject Christ if I can have these. Think long and hard. Jesus talked about the kingdom. What's the kingdom like? Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all, and he buys that field. That's Christianity. The treasure is Christ. And he found Christ, the treasure in the field, and he says, this field doesn't belong to me, but I need the field so I can have the treasure. He sells all, buys the field so he can have the treasure. Again, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all, rich young ruler, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. Caiaphas, that's the man who chose power and position over Christ. And Jesus is about to be interviewed by that man. John doesn't give us the details, but he's about to be interviewed by that man. That man who chose Position and power and profitability over him. The one who chose what was profitable for himself instead of what was most needed. Caiaphas chose. Caiaphas made choices. Caiaphas chose. He made a choice to reject Christ. He chose. He chose. But next we see God chose Caiaphas. Caiaphas chose to reject Christ. But God chose Caiaphas as an instrument for his divine purposes. This is when it gets good. Look at this. This is amazing. Look back to the text, John 18, 14. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Caiaphas said that, right? But where did he say it? Look back to John 11. But he did not say this of his own accord. Caiaphas chose to reject Christ 
for his own power, his own position. Caiaphas chose to reject Christ because it was profitable for him to try to eliminate Christ. But God chose. When Caiaphas made the statement, in the midst of his rebellion, in the midst of his rejection of Christ, he makes a statement and he says, it would be expedient that one man should die for all the people. He did not say that on his own accord. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one children of God who are scattered abroad so that from that day on they made plans to put him to death. He did not say that on his own accord. Whose accord was it? He prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. See an accidental prophet? There's no such thing as luck. Was Caiaphas a prophet of God? Was he an accidental prophet? You know, as high priest, this is the point here, as high priest, his responsibility was to speak for God, to represent God to the people. He wasn't an accidental prophet. There's no such thing as luck, even though we like to think there is. What does the Bible say? Proverbs 16, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Continues on in Proverbs 16, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. We, I don't know if you knew this was in the Bible, verse 33 of Proverbs 16, we may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. Caiaphas did not just happen to say the right thing at the right time. He didn't just accidentally affirm the substitutionary work of Christ on the cross. He didn't say it on his own accord. Do you see it? Do you see it? What's, what's, what's happening here? God is fulfilling his purposes. You know what else? I, I hope you see this. God's fulfilling his purposes, and Judas can't thwart it. Oh, and Peter, by the way, Roman soldiers can't thwart it. You don't have to try to cut off people's ears. Peter, if you're going to live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. Listen, we don't, we, don't, we don't advance the kingdom through the sword, Peter. The soldiers can't stop it. Judas can't stop it. The Sanhedrin can't slow it down. Caiaphas cannot hinder it by encouraging the death of Christ. In this sovereignly orchestrated declaration by Caiaphas, he is used by God to set in motion the eternal plan of God for the redemption of all who would believe in Christ. Our God is at work. This is the point. Our God is at work. Always. He is fulfilling his purposes on earth and in our life right now. This is the point. Jesus was not a victim. Jesus was not a helpless victim or a courageous martyr, but a sovereign savior. God orchestrating his sovereign purposes. It's all throughout the Bible. We see it all through creation and all over the scriptures. Perhaps one of the most clear evidences of this is in the book of Acts. So when we're thinking about Jesus' arrest, his betrayal, rejection from Caiaphas, 
going before the Sanhedrin, Pilate, this whole process of him going to the cross, in particular with the Jews. You see the affirmation of all I've just led you to see in Acts 2. Look at Acts 2. Peter stands up. This is after the resurrection. This is after Jesus has ascended. Acts 2, men of Israel, or before he, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, listen. A man attested to you by God with mighty works. Do you remember Lazarus was raised from the dead? And wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. Do you remember that? As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up, what was he delivered up by? According to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Caiaphas chose, Caiaphas chose, but God chose. Caiaphas chose, evil men chose, evil men are accountable, evil men make their decisions and they're accountable, but God, it was according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Listen, God is not reactionary to the decisions and plans of his created. The creator is not subject to those he created. Jesus is not following the plan of Herod, not following the plan of Pilate, not following the plan of Caiaphas, not following the plan of the Sanhedrin. He's following God's divine plan. The God of creation, the God revealed to us in Holy Scripture, the one true God is not a God we control. He doesn't make decisions based upon ours. He isn't waiting on us to fulfill his divine purposes. Why? Because his divine purposes have been established since eternity past. The psalmist affirms that reality about God. Listen to this section in Psalm 46. First, the psalmist speaks of false gods. Baal and Nebo, the gods of Babylon, bow as they are lowered to the ground. They are being hauled away on ox carts. The poor beasts stagger under the weight. Both the idols and their owners are bowed down. The gods cannot protect the people, and the people cannot protect the gods. They go off into captivity together. Listen to me, descendants of Jacob, all you who remain in Israel. I have cared for you since you were born. Yes, I carried you before you were born. I will be your God throughout your lifetime until your hair is white with age. I made you, and I will care for you. I will carry you along and save you. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Some people pour out their silver and gold and hire a craftsman to make a god from it. Then they bow down and worship it. They carry it around on their shoulders, and when they set it down, it stays there. It can't even move. And when someone prays to it, there is no answer. It can't rescue anyone from trouble. Remember this and stand firm or call it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from where? Whoa. In the beginning, before time, God declared the end from the beginning. The end was established in the foreknowledge of God. The end was established. His purposes were established at the beginning. 
I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. So yeah, Caiaphas chose. Caiaphas made decisions, but so did God. Long before Caiaphas ever walked planet Earth. So here's... Here's the point. Evil men make decisions, may make decisions. But our God has authority over all. So. We need one of these. Yes, definitely. No. <laughs> we don't. We don't need a magic eight ball. Some of you want to shake it. Who's going to win the presidency in 2024? (laughs) Have you worried about that? What about the border with all the barbed wire? Right? Looking ahead to the future, thinking about the things that are coming, looking around at the present circumstances, the challenges we face, the uncertainty we feel, the fears we have, the wicked we see all around, the Judases who betrayed, the Caiaphases who think they're moving forward their own self-serving agenda. God, what's going to happen? All of it. All of it. Under the sovereign rule of our great King. So what's our response to all of this? There's really only one response. It's Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared. A great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He, He chose our heritage for us. The pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a song. God reigns over the nations. God sits on His holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as a people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to our God. He is highly exalted. In short, in short, our God reigns. Our God reigns. Christ is king. Christ is king. Amen.